you are listening to the Thundercling Podcast. <laughs> Just rippling abs. How are we going to get fucking sponsored by these guys if we can't even get the name right? Did you say you're doing wrestling moves? Oh god, I'm bleeding. Jason Kale is walking around on stilts. Fucked up. I like to spice our pee bottle. Dave, can you believe it? Dave, I can hardly believe it. What's up? What can't you believe? That we made it to 10 episodes. Yeah. That's pretty good. The cool thing about it is that was our goal, and now we can just go back to doing nothing like we were doing before. Yeah. um, That's the end. That's the end. It's a bitter pill to swallow for us, (laughs) but for you. Yeah, the goal was to get you guys attached to us, and now we're going to let you go. Um, it's just better for us. Is, is that the goal? Was that the goal to get, let them get attached? Yes. I think we should keep going then. Because okay. I don't yeah. feel Actually, that I feel anybody's that. attached <laughs> to me at all yet. Not yet. No. Not yet, Dave. Okay. We're going to keep going. Yes. All right. We have, what's the climbing area we talk about every God damn episode. episode? It has to be Roy. Roy, New Mexico. Dude, because it's so, so cool, man. It's dope, bro. It's dope. New Mexico has amazing climbing it's the land of enchantment is that what they call that it? is really yeah i was i that's that's fitting because i last weekend i felt enchanted by roy i was quite enchanted yeah. you know what the the great thing is is that for the first time ever <laughs> we, we went, went to roy, roy together on the same weekend and so did everyone else from denver yeah there were a <laughs> lot of people at roy which isn't and us too. We were yeah, part of that. I'm not so. hating on everyone no. wanting to go there. Like that's fine. Like, we obviously went there. We so we'd be hating there, on exactly. ourselves. Obviously, people are there yeah. for a reason. But it was funny, you know, Dave and I finally went there together and we actually climbed together half an hour? Maybe ten minutes. Maybe ten minutes. Yeah. <laughs> when you when I said I can't do that thing, you're like, What? You can't? I'm like, No, dude, I'll never be able to do it. <laughs> and then Feedy walked away. <laughs> Well, showed me beta. Yeah. And yeah. I, I, I pointed out a foot and then Dave, Dave did the move like right after, but. Yeah. Let's not talk about that anymore. <laughs> I don't want people to know. I don't want people to know my V4 projects. <laughs> okay. Um, but that was fun. Yeah. And so it's only fitting that today's episode features. It, yes. Freaking the, the two people who might have the most to say and know about Roy. The people... The two people probably most responsible yeah. for the Roy explosion, the Roy explosion, the Roy, Roy explosion, Roy explosion, uh, copyrighted William okay. Penner and Owen Summerscale. So William Penner kind of, I mean, I don't want to say he discovered it. People had gone there before, yeah. uh, from Taos, but really no development had taken place. We talked to William Penner and he is the guy who more or less discovered and started developing yes. the bouldering at Roy. And Owen was the creator of the New Mexico guidebook, which made Roy accessible to Owen a lot Summer of people. Scale. Owen Summerscale. Yep. So we had them both on because Roy is at the end of the season. We wanted to make yeah. sure to get this episode before the season end ended. And, and, and it's kind of a, a relevant topic point right now with Owen recently posting that the first edition of the New Mexico bouldering book is sold out and he doesn't have plans to currently doesn't have plans to publish a second edition. And they said that that guidebook covers like five to 10% of what is in Roy of 
No, of what's been developed. Not even the massive, yeah. massive potential it has. And you're not getting anything, kiddos. Nobody's getting no <laughs> guidebooks at all. So there's no more guidebooks because there's some things that need to occur yes. to the infrastructure of Roy before he feels comfortable doing a second edition. Yeah, I think I think this weekend we both kind of saw that that was something that totally understandable, like trying to make sure that Roy as an area isn't isn't decimated essentially by yeah just how many the volume of people going there and yeah i think it's the right decision the weird thing about it too is that when we were there you can easily see the problems that are going to crop up in roy yes just like they do in any new area that kind of explodes especially in the social media age you could say like okay those roads are going to be a problem okay there's one pit toilet for 100 there's people a lot of poop a lot of poop everywhere it's going to be a problem we don't like poop. Mm-hmm. Um, but I didn't see anybody acting like a douchebag. Yeah, people were at all. pretty nice. People so nice. that was good. It seems like um, it's just over usage right now. Yes. Not over usage. It's just there's no infrastructure to handle all of this stuff, really. So we talked to those guys about the history of Roy, mm-hmm. about the guidebook, mm-hmm. and about the current stewardship and land conservation and management projects this, they have going this on. episode was for sure very informative i learned a lot as someone who'd been going to roy and just sort of been accepting it as a magical as all climbing areas whenever you go to climbing area you're just like i don't know who how this happened it's here now and not I'm magical just, dude enchanting enchanting and then but it's fun to hear like oh man there was people out here putting years of work into finding these boulders that i love and they were gracious enough to share it i think that's a hard decision to make i think i think yeah man if it's your little area you don't want to go there with your friends and it's just you guys and you're like man the world needs to see this at some point (laughs) that's right so i don't know interesting yeah it was rad i'm glad we got it out before the season ends um if you enjoy roy or you want to learn more about it you're about to but now it's time to powder feedy's ass a little bit that's right I'm not sure if that's a colloquialism for giving you a compliment or not. That makes me feel weird, but I like it. (laughs) The actual powdering of the ass or me saying it? Both. Yeah. How does it feel though? I I don't... Does it tickle? It's it's better than I would have anticipated. Makes me a bit uncomfortable. Yeah. I I wouldn't have expected your backside to look like this. Yeah. It is what it is, Dave. (laughs) So we got to give Feedy some props here (laughs) that Climbing Magazine asked Feedy to do an Instagram takeover for a week. How has that been going? It's been swell. That's um, so cool. <laughs> it was actually, yeah, it's pretty awesome. Uh, as someone who's been trying to, who's been taking climbing photos and has been, you know, it doesn't hurt to get a little bit of some sort of recognition. And uh, I don't know. I, I'm psyched. I hope hopefully can keep, keep doing. Yeah. Keep doing it. You know? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, keep taking those pictures. No, it's awesome. Go to Climbing Magazine on Instagram and check out some of his pics. Um, yeah, there's one from Roy, actually. Speaking that's of right. It, do you already have him? De- like, so we're, we're recording this right now on a Thursday, so he's got another day to go. Are they already sent in? Yeah, they asked me for, they're like, just send us some photos that you'd like to share. And so I sent him a few options and they've been chick- uh, they've been picking them, which is kind of fun to see like which ones they put. Oh, crazy. Yeah. Is, did, is there one of me? And choose your answer carefully. Oh, okay. I, hey, I sent them options, Dave. You, you were in the mix. And they didn't pick it? I don't know yet. We have two more days. We'll know by the time this is out. Oh, we're going to fucking... 
I'll have some words to <laughs> words with somebody later. It's been funny, like all my friends who uh, have been featured. Yeah, it's been funny for them to be like, "Whoa!" <laughs> like I didn't expect my to see my face on Climbing Magazine's Instagram feed. Yeah. But uh, it's super cool, man! Congratulations! Thank you. And also, thanks damn, to all dude, my this friends. This is like uh, this is feedy news time. Whoa! You're going to Font in like three days. Yeah, I'm so excited. It's been first trip or first ever. Yeah. Ooh, I think for buddy. any anyone who considers themselves a boulder, Font and Blue is for sure a like dream destination it just has to be it was not for me really why so i've always like you know i, I kind of lived overseas i've i've always liked places going places where people look different than you nobody speaks the language you have to work yeah, hard to like find point, the bouldering and stuff and i had this mis misconception that i shouldn't go to europe i shouldn't boulder in europe i'll do that when i'm older like i'll pick up fucking fly fishing and start bouldering in europe when i'm 50 <laughs> um so my girlfriend dragged me there basically to font and i will tell you this it is by far and away the best bouldering i have ever done oh my god in my entire life dave's crying right now it, it blows everything else away um it i don't is know i'm a fucking stupefying that's cool that's cool you're in for a treat my friend i'm kind of a roy boy but i'm ready to roy's ready. your favorite of all time roy I love that place, man. Every time I go oh. there, it's so easy to just find a new thing that I'm like, oh my God, I have to climb that. And also I have the, I have, I always have incredible weekends there with the friends I go with and I don't know. It's just, <laughs> Dave oh, spilled beer. Man, <laughs> I just spilled my all right. beer all over the carpet. Um, and without further ado, <laughs> I think we <laughs> Shit. My girlfriend's gonna be angry. All right, all right. Enjoy the, the show, guys. <laughs> enjoy. William, maybe we'll start with you. Like, are you a New Mexico local? No, I moved here. I went to school, uh, college outside of Philadelphia. Grew up there, and then literally, I I found climbing. I took a class Sick. and I immediately knew that that was not a place I wanted to live yeah. to be a climber. <laughs> right. So I pretty much moved out there. I worked, moved out here in uh, 1991. So I've lived in New Mexico for basically that whole time. Some stints in Utah and some other parts of New Mexico, but substantially in Albuquerque. Oh, nice, man. Well, you're a local now. I think it qualifies. I've lived more <laughs> of my life here. Exactly. At some point it qualifies. So yeah, how, totally. how did you stumble upon um, the climbing around Roy? Well, I was coming back from a job uh, at a Ted Turner ranch way out in, uh, in Kansas and in Oklahoma. And I drove through and right where for basically between Wagon Mound and Roy, there's a little boulder that's sitting right by a spot where you can pull off. And it was the Merlot stone. And I got out, so this is in 2000, and I ran over to it, and I was just could not believe how good the rock was. And I thought, oh, that's cool, but it's summertime, it's really hot, I don't want to get out and I want to look around, but it's clearly a ton of rock, because it's a shocking place if you're driving on the plains. So yeah. it just so happened that basically a year and a half, two years later in 2003, I came back as an archeologist and documented all of the Mills Canyon orchard down at the bottom of the canyon. I don't know whether you guys had a chance to go down there. So oh, I spent <laughs> th three weeks out in the canyon basically documenting all of uh, Melvin Mills 
various agricultural operations that remained. So then I was actually in the canyon every day and I would go bouldering, you know, basically as soon as I got off work, sometimes I'd skip work and just keep bouldering through the day. But so that was really when I first had the time to actually go out there and realize what it was like and really how overwhelmingly huge it is because the scale of it is just kind of mind blowing. Yeah. Does it like I would deviate here a little bit? And I don't know if you want to talk about this, but the scope of it, I mean, obviously it follows the river uh-huh. cut and doesn't that river run for like 90 miles or something like that? Yeah. I mean, if you were to take and get rid of all the private ownership in Northeast New Mexico, it would have more bouldering than probably seemingly almost all the other bouldering areas in the United States, like put together. Oh my God. It's, it's that scale. It's mind blowing how big it is. Yeah. Now, mind you, we don't have that. So we have a limited amount of, you know, forest service land out there. There's some state land and some other things. So we are much more limited in what we can access, Right. but it's staggering how much of Northeast New Mexico, how much the sandstone there is. Well, you started climbing, it's so 30 years, 2000, so you've been climbing for about 15 years, or God less, about 10 years when you found the bouldering potential of Roy. Like, what were the thoughts that cropped up in your head when you're on your job and you're like, holy shit, I've just so discovered I, Nirvana? <laughs> I had, well, pads had not, they've been invented not much earlier than that. It's a functional usage. Yeah. I remember going around Waco and, you know, having like a, basically a camp mattress that we would drag around. So I had one little Metolius pad and the amount of climbs that you can do with that are relatively limited, or at least it felt like to me at that time. So it felt so big. And there were so many things like, I remember walking through the, what we call the first stream bed and just thinking, huh, like, what am I going to do? Because I walked underneath giant, what would become giant prostitutes in space. Oh, and, well. I looked up at that and I was like, well, that looks really cool, but I don't think I'm ready for it with this little pad here. No and I was way. I was out there with my, my girlfriend at the time and she climbed a little bit, but she wasn't like going to exactly spur me on to great feats of anything. So I really limited myself to like, OK, flat landing, certain kinds of criteria, you know, what have you. So. Um, and, and at that point too, I had been putting up stuff, but not necessarily putting up a ton of like more expeditionary bouldering. So for me, it seemed, it seemed ridiculously big. And, you know, if you didn't have, now you go around with five, six people, even small pads, you can go ahead and get a fair amount of coverage. But with just the one pad, I, I, it was almost too much to know what to do with it too. And it's also what direction do you walk? Like, do I go to that boulder, that boulder? Absolutely. So at this point in time, it's really just you out there kind of exploring. Yeah. So there were people from Taos had gone there once or twice, done a few things. Um, But that was even before bouldering as a a separate entity was practiced. So people kind of, they were like, okay, that's cool. We're going to boulder so we can rope climb or whatever. So I don't think people really ever went out with that idea. Um, and then at one point after work, I'd actually gone and walked all the way down and just stopped short of the worldwide wall in Mustenio. Mm-hmm. And so I didn't get a chance to see like what that canyon would end up becoming that had to wait until a couple years later. But, you know, that really changed the game quite a bit, too, because there's a limited number of, of 
boulders at the roadside area that are kind of perfect and it starts to get a little bit weirder. You have to go to different locations. Um, and that's mostly where the other people's efforts have been concentrated right below the main campground. Right. So at what point that you're doing all this discovering, are you kind of maybe getting an inkling that you've discovered sort of a world-class climbing area, I guess, or Uh, was it sort of just kind of slowly dawning on you? I knew it was so big and some of the rock was so good that (laughs) you could even just see it, that you were like, wow, there are boulders everywhere. Like in 2003, I walked over and I found the bear boulder, which I don't know whether you guys have been there, but yeah, it's a thing of beauty. It's so gorgeous. And that just blew my mind. I was like, I don't even understand what this boulder is and what it's doing here. Um, I got a sense of it pretty quickly. But one of the things in New Mexico, and and Owen probably experienced a little bit of this, is that we have a bit of like a um, underdog mentality because we, you know, we live next to other states who have more famous climbing. Right. So if you tell someone you just found something that's incredible in your state and you think your state doesn't have anything, you basically don't believe it. You don't go out and see it. So (laughs) it it took a long time for New Mexicans actually to believe that there was anything good. People basically just were like, I I simply don't think it's out there. And it's in the weirdest of all places. It's like in the middle of the grasslands. Who would ever think that it's there? That's it's kind of crazy too because if you give like a um kind of like the the larger canvas at that time around 2000 that's like the bouldering boom is happening right now you know what i mean like sharma sure. just sharma just did mandala and he's like leading the charge and you find this huge boulder field and people are like no nah, dude you're probably blowing it out of proportion that's crazy <laughs> well so i mean there's a there people have put the theory forth that like when Waco was sort of substantially more regulated that that you know caused people to go back and re look at the places in their own states and to some extent that may be true because I definitely did not want to go back to Waco as much after that but I think we were always exploring in New Mexico and checking it out and the year before we really started the development of Roy and Ernest we were going out and looking for some other stuff at one of our welded tough areas and found a new area. And like, we basically figured out like all of the ways you could efficiently develop in that year of like 2004, 2005. So it was perfect. It was basically like the desire to find new stuff. Plus actually like, you know, you need certain kinds of tools. You need to use ropes or ladders or a combination of both. And just, we just figured it out that year basically by screwing up quite a bit. And then we eventually figured out what to do. Right. So you've got the development in earnest, like you said, starting kind of around like 04, 05. And then the guidebook, I think, was published in spring of 2016. Does that sound right? Is that right, Owen? Owen? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Written in the previous year. So A couple of previous years to that. If you guys could kind of both piggyback each other and talk about what happened in the interim and kind of like what spurred the guidebook's birth. I would love to hear that history because I mean, a lot of people just know, no Roy exists, right? They don't really know much of the backstory unless you buy the guidebook, which is out 
sold out. Sold out, which we'll get to <laughs> later. Yeah, we'll get to that a little bit later. But if you guys can talk about that. Too bad. Uh, yeah, exactly. Um, if you could talk about that kind of decade, which I, I just can't even imagine the excitement y'all had. But uh, if you can bring us up to speed on that time, that'd be great. Yeah, uh, William, do you want to do you want to continue your discussion, yeah. and then I'll I'll sort of interject when I get into my point in so time. Remind me, Owen, when did you actually move to New Mexico? What year? Twenty twelve. Twenty twelve. Okay, so. 2006, uh, I finally dragged a very motivated group of people up to Roy, which basically was my um, old friend Tom Ellis, yep. uh, my friend Masumi, uh, eventually some friends uh, Grady Ball, and then um, JC. And we all basically went up there. And once they got there, they were the first people who came and actually saw what I saw and realized absolutely how mind-blowing it is. Yeah. And um, I know some people may not remember a world before Google Earth, but <laughs> there was a time before Google Earth. So you, you had to walk everywhere. <laughs> so like you didn't even really know unless you looked at a quad map that like Mastenio was a parallel canyon to it. And you wouldn't necessarily assume that the side canyon would actually be the canyon that would have arguably more boulders in it. So that was just starting to come out. And we basically just like, we started at the main area and roadside and we just kept finding more and more areas. Like we would go to a new area, we develop everything for a weekend. And then the next weekend we were like too excited to go back to that because we had found something else while walking around. And that basically was the next six years until Owen got to New Mexico. So that was, let's say five months of a year where we were there virtually every weekend seemingly, you know, unless it was bad weather or something and constantly on the move, like up and down the Canyon, all the way up the various, you know, tributaries to Mustaño, you know, eventually finding the jumbles. And it's, it, it was one of the more interesting things. I don't know how many people have had the chance to find a bouldering area on that scale yeah. with friends of theirs and just be like, this is incredible. And since no one believed that we had found anything, we basically just climbed by ourselves and we bring people up there and they'd kind of be like, okay, that's cool or whatever. But by and large, it was the same group of people for a long time. Maybe the last couple of years, people finally started to come up and actually check it out. That sounds incredible. That just doesn't happen anymore. You know what I mean? It just does not, it doesn't seem like, I mean, for those of us on the outside, like Roy was not, and then one day Roy <laughs> was. was and you go there and you're just like, how did this remain under wraps? So I can't believe you guys kind of like took people there and they're like, ah, oh, it's pretty sweet. You know, we're not going to say anything. It seems cool. Yeah. Well, I think in the early years too, we would tell people, we'd say, you should go call us or, you know, we'll take you out. And then they would drive up by themselves and they'd get lost because uh, you can't find the best stuff immediately. Right. Um, you know, and I think there's one person who basically just looked at Google Earth and actually found the jumbles in their own, this guy, Jason Ploss. And we were kind of impressed, actually, because <laughs> he was the only person who ever figured out, like, going to the exact spot with the highest concentration. Um, and he came up because we had told him, you should go up there. And he eventually did. But 
it was always impressive when someone would go up there, have a terrible time, get lost, have some sort of issue, and then leave and basically say, I'm never going back. Oh. We were just like, right, cool. I think it's a, it is a difficult place to discover just by driving out there, you know? Yeah, it's true. I mean, even when you're driving in, for people who haven't been to Roy, like you get to the campsite and you're like, I'm not, you know, I'm not sold yet. I'm not sure we're in the right place at all. Right, yeah. And if, if you go to Mustaño, you don't see anything until you're literally yeah. at the canyon rim, basically. So true. Exactly. All right, let's keep Pretty. going with this story. And uh, I want to know, uh, eventually, Owen, how you get involved with the climbing there. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't think my role in the development is as significant as Williams, for sure. But yeah, I'll, I'll fill you guys in. Sure. Well, I would, I would qualify that it was definitely a group of people as far as developing Roy, as well as other areas in New Mexico. So there was always a group, um, you know, Tom and I definitely spent the most time up there just cause we're kind of ADD with that kind of stuff and development. <laughs> right. But, um, it, it was a pretty incredible time, but I do think in New Mexico at least, and for some other people outside of the state, it actually was people kind of realized it was kind of incredible. Weirdly, we had more success when we would tell people from out of state who we knew who trusted our judgment and that we'd say, you have to come check this out. So we had a friend fly in from New York. Wow. Guy who put, guy who put up giant prostitutes in space. Um, and it was really interesting because they would come in and they saw it and they were just blown away because we would drag them to, you know, basically the exact areas we want them to check out. But I, I think at that point, Owen probably had started to hear rumors. I don't, you can say, Owen, when did you actually first hear about Roy? Cause you were developing well, other areas. Yeah. Well, that's interesting. I mean, I heard about Roy before I moved to New Mexico in 2010, I think. Um, and that was when Noah Kaufman came out and he had his blog and he wrote about that. And I, I knew Noah because I was developing in Tahoe and living in Northern right. California yeah. at the time. Yeah, and then Noah just, I mean, he's, Noah is a pretty psyched guy, if you know him. And Yeah, we do. He, that's, that's, uh, that's an understatement. That's a very, <laughs> that's a very <laughs> diplomatic way to describe Noah. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, yeah, you can imagine this guy, you know, he's, he sees these pictures that I think John Kufal had put on on the internet with the worldwide wall in upper Mustaño. <clears throat> and I guess he saw this picture and he just was so psyched. He said he just had to go and see this thing. So from Northern California, yeah, whatever, like 800 miles or whatever to like rural Northern New Mexico <laughs> with no, no real idea about where he was going. Um, just that it was sort of vaguely in the vicinity of Mills Canyon and <laughs> and spent a week out there, basically, and eventually rendezvoused with you, William, didn't he, and Tom? Yeah, Tom and I eventually, we weren't certain. We were like, this is the first person who's come who we don't know. So we were uh, like, <laughs> we, we put him off for a couple of days and we eventually took him around. <laughs> he needs a little testing period, right? You got to make sure if he's serious. Yeah, right. <laughs> Driving from Northern California wasn't good enough. <laughs> no. <laughs> <Just> <laughs> like, we need more. 
All right, so Noah gets there, and what were his? I mean, his impressions. He, I mean, he's so psyched. He sees probably eight boulders, and he would develop them all. What was? What were his uh, first impressions? You know, he was. I think he got what it was because he had gone to some other areas that actually are are quite interesting. That I think they're actually on state land or something. They're not areas that I think we would go back to now, but. He developed some other zones of his own and he was blown away by the quality because if you find the good stone, it's just it's stunning. Mm -hmm. And then we had told him how to get to what would become the jumbles camping. And of course, that view there, you all of a sudden walk over and you're like, oh, my God, because you can see all the boulders right underneath you. You can see the boulders down canyon and you begin to get a sense of the scale of it. Um, So he was pretty impressed. But. He's always kind of psyched, so it's it's really hard to, <laughs> yeah. to know exactly like what his precise reaction is. But he he was thrilled. He had a blog at one point with his actual first impressions, and I think he was pretty gobsmacked for sure. And then he ended up telling Jamie Emerson, right? And yeah, and then we took passed Jamie on that information. Yeah. That's, that's around the time I was kind of hearing about it around. Like you, uh, Owen, around 2010, 2012, I was hearing whispers. And I know Emerson was going down there and he was kind of splitting his time between there and like um, the development up in Wyoming. He was mm-hmm. kind of sneaking out of Colorado. So yep. there were always these ephemeral whispers about this new <laughs> bouldering area in New Mexico. I have to give credit to Jay Droger. He's the uh, he's oh, the yeah. first Colorado person to come down. He actually came down kind of in a similar way to Noah and actually beat even Jamie Emerson. So he was the first out-of-stater to get there. So if you guys know Jay Droger at all. Yeah, let's give Jay some props. He's like, uh, in Colorado, he is an undercover legend. Like, if people he, knew about his first ascents and the quality problems he's put up, all over the Rocky Mountain area, they would just be floored. And he's a peach of a human being too, so. Yes. And then so, Owen, you start hearing the whispers and uh, you make the move from California to New Mexico and was was that for work? That's right, yeah, it was for work. Okay, and then how did you get, how did you get hooked up with William? Uh, good question, actually, because I live in Los Alamos and he's down in Albuquerque and, you know, those climbing communities are a bit separated. Um, but actually, William mentioned the welded turf area earlier in the conversation. And I was, I got kind of interested in the climbing there. And um, I'm, I was at Stone Age Gym one time, and some guy gave me William's number and said, This guy, this guy's super psyched. He's, I know he's developed some stuff out there. You should like get in touch. And um, so, William just gave me basically the beta for this welded turf area and did not mention Roy at all. <laughs> and uh, once again, actually, he's think, doing, he's, he's like, you know, he's fleshing out the situation, yeah, making sure. you wait a little bit. <laughs> he made me work for it. That's for sure. Um, and de- and I think I, I went for the first time to Roy with information from Noah and <laughs> and then I was like, "Hey, William, if, if you ever been to Roy, do you, do you know anything about that?" <laughs> and then I start, I suddenly realized that oh god, he was the guy who actually took Noah out, and yeah, he knows everything. Uh, that's amazing. That's funny. I didn't even remember that. <laughs> that's how it went. Yeah. Walked it out. 
That's awesome. But he still like just gave me just little drips of information. Yeah. You know, so here is everything. Well, let's... To be fair, you got eventually the guidebook basically that Owen would develop as far as Roy was based substantially on a a handwritten set of notebooks that Tom had every place we went and developed, we would draw little circles and number boulder problems and then put the names on them and the the grades in a star system. So there's sort of a nascent bouldering guide that eventually formed uh, the beginnings of Owen's bouldering guide. So eventually you got your hands on that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, props to Tom for that. But yeah. at, ti- at times, reading this is like reading hieroglyphics, it has to be said. <laughs> it's <laughs> only intelligible. Tom and I can figure it out because like, oh, I remember that. We were sitting around the fire and we were making that joke. So that must be these boulders. <laughs> so literally, the history of Roy is split between the brain of Tom and I. And Owen went out with us one time. We were trying to find another area we hadn't been to in a long time. And we really needed both brains because we could barely remember it uh, between the <laughs> two of us. And this whole like lost bouldering areas in these notes that nobody knows where they are. Really? Okay. Oh my gosh. Does that notebook still exist? Oh yeah. Wow, man. That thing's, who owns that? Who's got the, does Tom still have that? Tom still has those. Wow. Amazing. Um, Okay, so let's fast forward a little bit. Roy is obviously in the conscience. They're visiting climbers. It's obviously getting a little bit of underground movement. Um, Owen, when did you decide that it would be a good idea to tackle a climbing guidebook for New Mexico? For the entire state of New Mexico? Yeah, uh, it was a good question. Because I was. I mean, I, so I published the book in 2016, which is only four years after I moved there. So yeah, I certainly wasn't, um, a long time resident or anything like that, but it seemed when I first got there, it was kind of frustrating not having any information. There was no guidebook at all. Like there wasn't a a Falcon guide like New Mexico, no bouldering at all. Nothing. There was a short section in the Hemes rock climbing book on Ponderosa. It's a world of tough area. Okay. And that's it. So maybe eight pages um, published information. Wow. So aching for a guidebook. Yeah. And I, and I certainly didn't come here and think, oh, let's write a guidebook. You know, that's, that's definitely not the way I approach this. But <laughs> thing, thing, things just sort of snowballed i guess i started making notes to ponderosa and i was going to make a kind of free pdf and then i got just randomly um met one of the main developers of box canyon down in socorro and he was super enthusiastic about that area and showed me around and you know he he said you know you should write you should extend this ponderosa guidebook and you should make box canyon i was like okay yeah and i was psyched and i had before moving to the state, I had actually helped Dave Hatchett with the Tahoe bouldering guide series. And he'd kind of shown me how basically how you write a guidebook. So I was kind of into the whole idea anyway. And I'd done a lot of developing in Tahoe. So that was my background. That, and, that, that Dave's guidebook is pretty badass for such a, an area that <laughs> yeah. has so many different constellations, right? In Tahoe, it's just yeah. there's bouldering everywhere. It's, it is an enormous area, and I don't think anyone realizes, but like he's covered like 
6,000 boulder problems or something. Yeah. It's a Herculean effort. I don't know of any bouldering guide in the world that has that many problems. Yeah, no, so. we, we use that guidebook for home defense. We don't even need a gun. We just pop somebody <laughs> over the head with that thing. It's, ah, a, ah, it's ah. a tome, you know? Tired, right, yeah. <laughs> Is it three or four volumes? Like, at least count. Yeah, I think it's, it's a lot. three volumes. Anyway, okay, so that is... Anyway, I digress. That's a hell of an internship. <clears throat> yeah, I mean, so yeah, and, and Dave's awesome guy, and he was, yeah, really, really helpful. And anyway, um, so... Yeah, I was in a situation where I was writing up all this stuff for the PDF, and then I can't remember exactly how this all happened. At this point, I was still I was climbing in Roy, but the idea of writing a guidebook to Roy was um, was not on my mind whatsoever. You know, in fact, the opposite. I, if somebody had told me I was going to write a guidebook, I would just I, that seems like a totally overwhelming prospect. You know. Yeah. Um, and. There's an, uh, we haven't mentioned the other main bouldering area in New Mexico, which is your Tagers, which William and Tom also discovered and developed. Um, that was an area that I was particularly psyched on because it's quite close to Los Alamos. Very good rock, really nice quartz site. Um, and I can't even remember the moment where it sort of all came together, but somebody just, I think my friend Eric Bissell was like, you should write a guidebook for the whole of New Mexico. Oh, we, can, we can blame Eric, huh? Let's <laughs> that's, that's that. uh, I'm going to have to text him. <laughs> yeah, that's the time you just slap that person across the face and just be like, no Total. fucking way I'm doing that. Are you kidding me? That Anyway, carry on. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, exactly. So it, it was an overwhelming prospect. And also, I mean, Roy was kind of on the down low, you know. Yeah. And... I do, and I remember approaching William about it and, yeah, getting his blessing, as it were, <laughs> which I'm sure he regrets now. <laughs> I was, no, I don't regret it. I don't regret it, but I think it took – there was a time period where it, it, it took both Tom and I the ability to just say, okay, fine. We will help you because we want the place to remain um, – meaningful and open and you know not have it get messed up by various people who are going to eventually come and and not understand what's public what's private you know which roads to go on and things like that and we'll, we'll get to more of that later but i think it did take us a bit of time to accommodate ourselves to that idea because once you've been used to being out there with really only yourself and the people that you know coming out the idea of having anybody come out does it, it takes you a little while to get used to that idea. Yeah, absolutely. It makes sense. Yeah. Well, climbers and so jealously guard like their new areas or their secret areas. It's interesting to hear, um, William, your re any reservations you might have had because it's a big step, man. When you say, you know, finally feel comfortable enough to say, this is my baby, don't beat it or fuck it up or not change its diaper. You know what I mean? It did help, though, that Owen's guidebook now, and I think at the time of the publication, it only covered 15% of the developed climbing in Roy. And now it's probably closer to 10% of the developed climbing. So yeah. that that has changed things because it's it's basically focused everyone in a certain number of areas. Wow, that's an incredible statistic. What's it like doing a guidebook for a place like Roy? 
when like development is constantly occurring around you? Is that why it took like two and a half years to finish up? Are you constantly like updating your maps or at some point do you just throw down the hammer and just say, that's it. Listen, any new development, it's not going in the guide. Oh, wow. Well, at the time of writing, yeah. I mean, most of it was honestly playing catch up to, to William and his and Tom and their crew and, and then getting in touch with the Colorado climbers who, you know, to their credit, uh, people like Ryan Silver and then Jamie Emerson, Colin Horvat, those guys, they, they put up quite a, few, quite a lot of gems as well. And, just talking to as many people as possible. But I was very much aware of the fact that becoming the author to this guidebook would, meant that I was going to have to, like, you know, keep a track on things and kind of become the librarian, as it were, or the accountant for Roy, which is how I kind of feel. Yeah. Um, Roy yeah, CPA. So, Roy CPA. Um, <laughs> so I've spent a lot of time out there in the intervening years just like, you know, out there for a week or a week or so at a time, just hiking these canyons and checking out every single thing that's in there, every little detail. You know, I, I still have not hiked every single canyon and been to every single area, but I'm slowly catching up. Did you guys, I guess once the guidebook was published, did you anticipate the the response that Roy got or just New Mexico bouldering in general was, was that kind of something you had on your mind? I think that if we, if, if New Mexicans have um, a feeling of being underdogs, um, <laughs> people from being from out of state often have a similar sense of disbelief that there could be any good climbing in New Mexico. So it took a little bit of time before people were like, oh, okay, that actually looks pretty cool. And I, I do think what changed quite a bit is the immediacy of social media where people are like, that actually looks really cool. And they're looking at it at their phones literally like after, you know, every Sunday evening or Monday or whatever, it became like, I don't think that type of photography and social media was such a thing, even when Noah got there. Right. So I think as social media came in and people started, you know, taking pictures of, of, various problems that changed a lot it was sort of that plus the guidebook are the things that actually i think began to get people very excited about it and think oh that seems like a place i want to go yeah that's something we wanted to talk about and this can kind of segue into um the main reason we wanted to talk to y'all because you know in the old days new areas kind of like filtered into people's consciousness like organically and slowly, right? Just like the beginning of Roy for you guys. And today there's the social media from pro climbers with thousands of followers. There's mountain project, internet forums, guidebooks are sold at every shop and on Amazon. And it like speeds up the need to set up some sort of infrastructure, like conservation and stewardship infrastructure. Did you guys at all foresee uh, that you were going to need to set this up at such a hasty pace or can you kind of talk about after the guidebook was published, your, your thoughts about um, the crowds that were funneling in every single weekend and growing, I'm sure you could just viscerally see it grow every month, you know? Yeah. Every season. I mean, every season I think it's, Oh, this has got to be the peak, you know, 
things are going to be calming down from here on and um no every year it's it's growing and and that to be fair to some extent it did happen before the guide but the guide has catalyzed that enormously and yes it's been a shock for sure I, i think personally i was shocked just how many out-of-state climbers there are and how relatively few New Mexico climbers there are, uh-huh. especially, especially as I primarily wrote the guidebook for New Mexico climbers. You know, it was meant to be a resource for New Mexicans and to encourage New Mexico climbers. It's quite a small climbing community to kind of get out and make the most of their state. Um, but it is totally understandable that, who want to come and visit a kind of a place that has good winter conditions and a desert climbing area. And the front range is, yeah, five hours or so away from mm-hmm. Roy. So some people certainly would have predicted it. And I, I wouldn't have said that I, I knew one way or another which way it was going to go. But... <laughs> you have made a decision um, which just like I think is <clears throat> a super upstanding thing of you to do. It's a really ethical decision that you've made. You've decided to hold off on a second edition of the guidebook. And if you can just explain what kind of prompted that decision, because that has to be tough, but man, I respect it so much. Yeah, uh, well, that's actually quite easy. <laughs> I don't have to do any work. It's great. Yes. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, yeah, no, it's, it's the ultimate excuse of being lazy. <laughs> but right. I, th- I feel like it's some ways paying penance for, you know, the the kind of the impacts that are going on in Roy, which to, to make that clear, I think probably the biggest impacts are occurring on on the roads, which are, they're basically unimproved two tracks in cattle pasture lands and quite susceptible to wear and tear. There's quite a bit of wear and tear on the trailheads too. And, you know, people, when people are camping out in one spot and there's no bathrooms, we've got a bit of a poop problem at the Jumbles trailhead, I'd say. Yeah. yeah. So people, yes. if you, I mean, PSA, I'd like people, if they're going to go and camp out there, to bring wag bags with them, or at the very least, like, you know, take your teepee or burn it or whatever, don't bury it. I think all climbing areas go through that phase. Yes. Uh, We've talked about it with the Access Fund. They get more popular. They sort of overrun sort of basic systems, including substantially poop. What do you do with it if you don't have a place to go? Um. I was kind of surprised as I began to see like even around the main campgrounds and I don't necessarily want to camp there just because I want to have a different experience. But for the people who do camp there, they have a place to poop. It's great. But there are a stunning number of people like that stay there way in excess of actually, you know, the available spots in those campgrounds. So, you know, they're kind of at some of the other dispersed areas and that's fine. I, I don't know that the forest service thought, that they were going to see that degree of visitorship. So, you know, I think we grew up just pretty quick. As you said, before things were kind of slow and you could kind of see the the poop problem building little by little. But here it all of a sudden was like, boom, you're a relatively mature area for that. 
um, at least in terms of the visitorship. Uh, I will say one thing about the people that are coming, and I know there's a lot of them, from the perspective of if you were there early and you saw Roy as being a place, whether you use the world world class or not, and you knew this is what it was, and you see other people who appreciate that and think it's pretty incredible, um, that's a great feeling. So that's part of the reason why I think Owen and I are both interested in actually trying to keep it um, in as good a condition as we can and actually try to limit the impacts because we actually do think it's a pretty incredible area. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, I mean, it's crazy. I mean, only a climbing podcast would talk about poo in the way we're about to, but um, it reminds me a bit. I think uh, Roy's story is a bit analogous or kind of like dovetails with Joe's Valley. Cause, mm-hmm. cause Joe's Valley yeah. of course is kind of like a high Alpine desert. Uh, Orangeville is like what? 1300 people live there. Um, and it didn't have any facilities either. And they're still struggling with the poo problem, but they have sure. built, they've built, um, more pit toilets. And then you have places like red rocks that have wag bag stations, which is an, an incredible asset to have there. Um, mm-hmm. What are you guys thinking about to mitigate the situation with with just that one pit toilet right at the campground and then all that dispersed camping elsewhere? What are some of the solutions that you and land managers and the Forest Service and the Access Fund have been batting around? So, yeah, we have been in discussions with the Kiowa National Grasslands, Cibola National Forest. It's kind of a bit complicated. There's two levels of administration you got to deal with. And the Access Fund, you know, Ty Tyler Access Fund has been awesome. So he's been attending these meetings as well. And we've got a fairly big meeting coming up next month. So uh, that should get the ball rolling on a number of things. We, I think because all this traffic and impact has happened so quickly, it's definitely caught the land managers unawares. And at the same time, I think that they're still a little reluctant to to do anything as as drastic as build a new toilet um, without evidence that these crowds are going to continue to appear. Nonetheless, I think something like a wag bag station is something that we can enforce pretty easily. And that's something the Access Fund has certainly suggested. And I think that's a good idea to go forward. In the long term, then... Yes, we have discussed the idea of having a pit toilet at Mustanio Canyon or a campground at Mustanio Canyon. So those are currently the options we're looking at. Uh, To contextualize it too, so um, at Joe's, that single community is 1,300 people. The entire Harding County is 400 people. Um, Wow. when, When I was there... In 2003, I might see a single person come in or go out in the off season, or at least our climbing off season, so summertime or things like that. So this is orders of magnitude, more visitorship than that national grassland has probably ever seen. Mm -hmm. So um, I'm sympathetic to the, the Forest Service out there because this is simply like unprecedented for them. And I think for a lot of those ranchers, even though people came and they visited, but it was substantially locals who did, there just simply was not that much visitorship. 
Um, and to their credit, the ranchers and the Forest Service have been incredibly gracious and kind and by and large have said that climbers do a pretty darn good job of trying to limit their own impacts. Um, obviously, you have more and more people. It, you, it, it just simply can't be sustained um, without making some choices. But I think the Forest Service is extremely positive in their response. They like that people are using that area for a long time. They built those campgrounds and they, they wouldn't be filled or they wouldn't be uh, full on the weekends. That They basically never really saw many visitors. And now at least they're getting used. Yeah, right. Well, no, another issue that uh, I think about that you guys are going to have to struggle with, not struggle with, but overcome is so the road system to drive around there. Of course, uh, everybody is advised to keep their cars in the ruts which is great and you should, and it's no problem to do. However, in places like uh, Bishop or Joe's or, or most bouldering areas, there are nat- natural barriers. You know what I mean? There are trees next to the road or there's scrub brush next to the road. The thing that concerns me about Roy is that there's no natural barrier for a car to just like, I don't want to be in the ruts. I'm driving a used sedan that I picked up at the airport. I j- it scares me that people are going to, those roads in two years are going to be 20 yards wide, you know? And how do you, yeah. How, what are your thoughts on enforcing that to not impede into the grasslands? Well, I mean, that's a good question. Something that should be directed to the forest service for sure. But we have thought about the idea of yeah putting up some kind of barriers on the, the edges of the, the two track doing some kind of improvement work essentially and possibly if things, you know, if we manage to find some money basically from somewhere, then where we may be able to upgrade the roads to gravel or some other harder surface. And that should also mitigate that problem, but it's true. I mean, it is, you're absolutely right. I mean, that's something that could and might well happen in the future. So, I think you could probably drive a sedan to Kansas basically on those grasslands because they're so flat. Um, (laughs) And there's, you know, if you're not going to hit an arroyo, then you would be fine. But thus far, if you drive out there before virtually like four months or not four months ago, four weeks ago, there wasn't a sign other than that Smokey the Bear sign. Right. So you would drive through a gate that literally didn't say anything. You'd drive through another gate there was, it didn't say anything. So I think that we have an opportunity as we work with the forest service, particularly because this will go out of season. Roy will have, you know, it has a long six months off. Um, We can go ahead and before the beginning of the next season, have the opportunity to educate people quite a bit with just through decent signage. It doesn't have to say the most incredible things because now the guidebook sold out probably lots of people friends of friends will drag them down there and they may not ever use a guidebook they just know how to get to the jumbles they use a pin or something yeah um so i think the opportunity to basically put signs out there that just say very succinctly you know what the issues are and how we can go ahead and help mitigate them most climbers want to do the right thing so but at this point they just simply aren't getting that kind of messaging yeah so I think that's a very inexpensive way to do it. One thing I wanted to ask you guys about too is I know, Owen, you mentioned something about potentially having climbers come and do like a 
I don't know, like some kind of maintenance day or having climbers yeah. work on the area. Is that something that is, is, is for sure coming up? Cause I know for a fact, like if something like that pops up, I would love to come help and do whatever I can to maintain Roy and make sure it stays accessible. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's probably the number one asked question I get these days, which is, which is great. Um, the issue is that we don't have any authority out there to do any trail work. We are working on that basically. Um, there's, I mean, Willie, William, William works with environmental issues. He can probably fill you in on the details of this, but basically trails have to be official if you want to do trail work. And we also have some issues with the roads not being on the motor vehicle use map and, and so on. So we have to jump through those hoops before we can organize any official days. But fingers crossed, next year, yeah. I would like to have some kind of uh, trail day kind of work organized for the Access Fund. The Forest Service has been really great about that. I think we've met with them three or four different times now. Um, there are bureaucracy and, you know, things move slowly, but relative <clears throat> to that truth, they're actually very excited in, in a way that I don't always see working with agencies. So I feel like they actually want to go ahead and make, make this work for everyone out there. And I think in no small part, because, um, Thus far, the community has substantially seen some of the benefits. It hasn't quite gotten to the level like in Joe's Valley where people are actually starting businesses to accommodate climbers. They're sort of modifying businesses. But I do think there's a lot of opportunities. Oh, and I have talked about it before where people have homes in Roy. If they had Airbnbs, it's a long, cold winter night out there. And I bet there's a ton of people who would go ahead if you had Wi-Fi and eight beds? People oh would rent God. it out the whole winter. Absolutely. Well, uh, we should give a shout out to Sandy Ray at this point. Uh, she's she's got a casita in Roy that sleeps six, and it's like I think something like seventy bucks a night or something. Wow, pretty good value. That's and so yeah, has Wi-Fi showers. Oh, that's amazing. So, um, well, I had a question about the management too. We kind of touched on it, but Roy the area shares land with, you know, the national grasslands, the national forest, BLM land, privately owned land, ranches. I think ranchers like uh, lease some of the state land for cattle grazing. That's that would strike me as making management a a real big juggling act. Like how do you weave your way through that, um, through all of those kind of disparate entities that you need to bring together for the health of the land? Slowly. (laughs) no you're exactly right um there is uh access to some of the climbing areas drive through state land and then you're back onto the forest so you leave a county road drive through a little bit of state then you're back on the forest some of the roads terminate in state land and in new mexico state land is treated exactly like private land they're obligated to sort of keep you off um except that you can actually go ahead and you can apply for a recreation permit and get onto that land. It's not that hard. Owen's gone through the process. I actually haven't, but, um, yeah, it's a total mosaic 
which is one of the reasons why we had actually thought, okay, fine, the guidebook might actually help with that because it'll tell people where to go. Like as an example, Google used to tell you to drive right up this one uh, rancher's driveway yeah. right before you hit Smokey the Bear. And luckily he put up a, a sign that said, uh, please don't drive down my driveway essentially. Yeah. But if you live out there as those guys, those ranchers have, you know, um, for a number of generations, it sort of doesn't make that much difference because most people are pretty friendly to one another out there, mm-hmm. but you get a lot of other people just kind of going through random gates and things. It can be an issue and do credit to the ranchers who have found climbers on their land through <laughs> no fault of their own, because it doesn't always say what land status you're going into. And they have generally been absolutely as kind as they could be and just saying, Oh, you guys are lost. That's cool. This is my land. You know, you got to go a different way. So thus yeah. far we've had great relations with them. Oh, that's great. But that at some point that wick's going to get shorter is the fear, right? When it's yeah. uh, every weekend, they're seeing a bunch of long haired <laughs> patchouli smelling boulders wandering onto their property. Eventually they're just going to get fed up. Um, sure. What was I going to say? Oh, yeah. So we're talking about all of these um, ways to improve the management and be stewards of the land. But, you know, a little stat I looked up is I think New Mexico has like 17 people per square mile. And the two movement gyms in Denver see 2,000 people go through daily. Multiply that like in every metro center in the states around New Mexico. So you guys are getting a ton of people that aren't getting any updates about local meetings that aren't privy to maybe some of the issues. How, how can the word spread um, on kind of the stewardship and land management and conservation goals that you guys have? Well, I've, I've got to say, Hats off to the Kaya actually for this because I know that Kristen and Darren, who are staff at uh, Kaya National Grasslands, they've been getting out there and talking to climbers. You know, they only work Monday to Friday, unfortunately, mm-hmm. but when they have a fr- when they have a chance on like a Friday and climbers are starting to show up early for the weekend, they'll go down the campground and talk to the climbers and say hi. And so. That's one route for sure. I guess uh, I, I think social I media. Think, yeah, I, I think social media is, um, it may have been something that contributed to the impacts, but it's essentially a value neutral delivery system. You can work it backwards for all the people um, that are out there and care about Roy and actually basically feed the information back through social media as well. I think a lot of people reacted to you saying, you weren't going to have a second edition of the Roy guidebook uh, when you posted that, Owen. Yeah, yeah, a bit of a wake-up call, I think, for people. Yeah, so those of us who are a little bit closer to the forest um, and are hearing things, um, it's probably incumbent upon, well, at least those of who's, those of, like maybe Owen, who tries to keep a, a higher profile social media presence than I do, to push that stuff out there and actually engage people who don't even live in the state necessarily. And that is for listeners, New Mexico Bouldering Guidebook on Facebook. So follow that. And on Instagram. And, and Instagram, yeah. yeah. Instagram as well, right? New right. Mexico Bouldering. Yeah. Well, let's see. 
maybe one more question I have. We're not going to keep you too much longer, but let, I mean, let's get down to brass tacks and talk about money. Where do you find as guy, you guys are kind of like on the spearhead of the stewardship efforts around Roy. Where do you find money to implement the projects that you want to? Good question. <laughs> we'll find out. <laughs> it's an important question, um, right? So, well, one, I mean, I think there are a number of grants that we can apply for. Certainly, the Access Fund is the obvious sort of internal source of uh, funds that we have. The Forest Service are very reluctant to spend money, but I think they, they certainly can find, can find the money. You know, there is money there. There's... A new opportunity that's coming up that the state of New Mexico voted for a, um, a an outdoor office of outdoor recreation, which certainly seems very optimistic for supporting this kind of um, development, you know, infrastructure development. So that's a possibility, applying for money from the state. Mm-hmm. Uh, currently, Roy is uh, free of um, user fees which I think is a wonderful thing. Certainly living yeah. in, when well, I used to live in California, you know, that's not how it is at all. I'm pretty much used to spending 25, 30 bucks every time you go camping and certainly around Tahoe. Um, that was a, a really nice thing about coming to New Mexico and finding these like pretty plush campsites. Yeah. That are completely <laughs> really free. Nice. It's pretty awesome. Um, and I don't think there's any plans to change that, but you never know if there is a Mustania Canyon campground, then maybe there could be a small user fee associated with that. I think we need to find several tech billionaires who we can introduce <laughs> to climbing who can buy all of Northeast New Mexico and then the funding issue will be solved. That's my long-term goal. <laughs> Do you, uh, I, I, don't, I don't know any of them, so... We don't either, but every show, every show, we give a shout out to Jason Momoa, who played Aquaman. He's got like the DC money now. He's a big time climber. Just like, come on, be a philanthropist, throw some money Save at Roy. Climbing. <laughs> exactly. He's Aquaman, for God's sake. Well, I know there's New Mexico Climbers uh, Resource and Advocacy Group, New Mexico Crag. Um, do they accept yep. donations or anything that you can kind of like uh, earmark for, I want this money to go to Roy? Is there any sort of infrastructure set up to mm. so people can funnel money directly into the bouldering area? No, not yet. But I mean, that is a, it's a good idea for sure. Um, so, and we're currently the only money we get from NM Crag is for membership, for in-state mem- access fund memberships. Okay. So I will go ahead and say it's New Mexico NM Crag. So NMCRAG.org. If you go there, you can basically, it's one of the um, affiliate like state organizations associated with the access fund. So you can go ahead and you can join. We, as Owen said, we didn't send anything up where you can basically specifically earmark something, but we have had, four meetings now where, you know, Owen and I have driven up to Northeast New Mexico a couple times to meet with the forest and we'll be meeting with them multiple times, probably over this summer. So usually when we spend money for New Mexico, Craig and Owen's part of it, I'm a part of it. Um, it goes basically into equipment and a lot of trail days. We don't 
pay ourselves anything for this. So that's right. not the issue. But at some point, there probably will be something that we'll do related to Roy for this. Um, we usually vote on what we think the you know the upcoming uh, access effort might be for a given year. And, and previously, we've mostly focused on sport crags rather than bouldering. But we may have to change our tune for this year and figure out what we can't do to help out the Forest Service um, as far as a volunteer effort. Totally. Yeah. Well, I mean, we live in such a world of like Kickstarters and GoFundMes. Mm-hmm. Like, I want a new bike. Give, I'm going to start a GoFundMe <laughs> for my daughter. Um, yeah. You know, I want to go to Spain. I'm going to start a Kickstarter. However, people pay money for that stuff. I think if there were some some way for an organization in New Mexico to open up uh, a donation service for out-of-state climbers, because I understand that us out of, out-of-staters are probably the major contributor to the problems that Roy is suffering through now and will suffer through in the future. If there was a way for out-of-staters to somehow contribute to the restoration and the stewardship, I think you guys would find a a bit of a windfall. I would pay someone a dollar just to open all the gates going in and out. So I feel like an enterprising young ranch hand (laughs) Yeah. could probably go ahead and make some money if they just sat by those gates. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, you don't want to get out of your car. Yeah. What a oh pain in the ass. It's all windy. Um, Is there anything you I like that? the idea, though, the crowds, crowdsourcing, yeah. crowdfunding. Why not? I mean, I don't know. It would just be an easy yeah. way to, you know, that would maybe stock your wag, dag, wag bag stations for two years. Boom, problem right, solved, yeah. and then you can look for money for other things elsewhere. I don't know. It just seems like an easy way to maybe fill the coffers mm-hmm. a bit. Yeah, an appeal to the out-of-state climbers for sure. Yeah. Well, yeah, let the out-of-staters um, contribute do, something. Yeah, to contribute something from afar because they're, they're there for the weekend using your resources. We, this last yeah. weekend, were there using your resources. We're the problem. We are the problem. It, that's why we are uh, sympathetically doing this podcast because we feel like we're the problem. Um, but it'd be a great way from afar when you get back home just to be like, I'm going to send five bucks. I'm going to send 20 bucks. Yeah. Every time we visit, it's free camping. It. You know. I mean, yeah. I mean, the thing about Roy is I think ultimately it could actually absorb a very large number of visitors, you know, funnily enough. We just need a little bit more infrastructure to do so. But the, there are lots of bouldering errors out there. You know, there isn't just the jumbles. And William's right. You know, the guidebook does yeah. just funnel people in that way. And the pros and cons to that. But believe me, there is there are a lot of bouldering areas yeah. out there. You know, there are a lot of trailheads. And if you want to get away from people and you know where to go, it's not hard. Um, so I certainly envisage, or both of us envisage a future where people are spread out much more. And, and Roy. Mm-hmm could take hundreds of people, I think. Yeah, I think Roy could, there are so many different zones that you can go to. It could absorb many, many more people. But I think you're right that some of the growing pains with the Forest Service need to be ironed out before you go ahead and sort of point people in other directions. Um, but it, it's it's kind of mind-boggling, actually, how much climbing is out there. Oh, oh yeah. I mean, this past weekend, which in my experience was also like four times more than, than the busiest I'd seen it before. 
Mm-hmm. Like I was still able to find areas where it was just me and my friends and nobody else, even though there was like hundreds, hundred people there maybe. So yeah. it's possible. It's just people get kind of sucked into like trying to go and do like the classics. They see photos of all the time, like, like uh, fun bags and all that stuff. So they just like congregate there. Sure. To, to play devil's advocate here. I'm just curious, Uh-oh. Owen, if you could go back in time, knowing what you know now, uh-huh. how different would the New Mexico bouldering guidebook look? It, it would be the same. I would just publish 50 copies and then that would be it. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> okay, I like that. I Actually, I'm going to piggyback on that too. Um, I know you're not going to do a second edition, but are you going to run any more printings? No, but actually I am... Uh, I'm, I talked to Cody Roth a little while about this. He works for Vertical Life, and there will be eventually an electronic app version oh, of sweet. the first nice. edition. So there, there will be some, still some form of information that's out available. You oh, know, that's great. It, it'll be different from a guidebook, of course, but yeah. Well, Isaac Caldiero became uh, public enemy number one after the Joe's Valley guidebook ended its printing run so you don't want to be <laughs> the isaac caldero yeah. of roy uh that's good news man I, well i figure that some some information would still helps people get around is is still good you know i'm just i'm just kind of reluctant to add more information out there if you know what i mean yeah I totally know what you mean. I think it's a great decision. At this point, at this point. But I, I mean, I would love to, to release more information eventually, of course. I mean, I, I love Roy climbing and, you know, why why wouldn't I want to share that information? But yeah, we've got we've to gotta let Roy grow as an area. And that's what certainly my focus is on the next few years, Yeah, personally. Well, uh, we both say to both of you guys, thanks for your work. Yeah, and, thank you so much. And we'll give you, I mean, we've talked about a lot of stuff, but is there anything you'd like to leave? I mean, we're based out of Denver. We have a lot of Colorado listeners and Roy gets a lot of Colorado climbers. Is there anything, any point you guys would like to make to kind of end the podcast to, for visiting climbers to kind of take on a little stewardship role of their own when they're visiting Roy? Well, I think we covered the, the points quite well. Bring a wag bag. Yep. Um, you know, don't don't be an idiot. <laughs> Just respect and look. Watch out for the signs. You know, there are sections of the roads now that are closed, and you know you have to drive a little bit further now. So just kind of bear that in mind. Don't don't rip it across the grasslands. Just go at a kind of steady pace and close those gates behind you. Yeah, respect the cows. Respect the ranchers. Respect the ranchers. Yeah, I mean, the the, the ranchers, you know, they don't live out in the grassland, so they're concerned about their cows. And, you know, I ran into one this past weekend, and he was telling us he'd be very thankful if we found his cows and went to his house and, you know, let him know know where they were. So, I mean, it's pretty straightforward. Just be kind, empathetic human beings to the folks that are out there. And I think it'll go a long ways towards – the long-term success of Roy. Um, if you meet a local, be friendly, chat him up, you know, go ahead and talk about what is that you like about it. And I think that'll go a long ways. Yeah. And I would say also, I, 
don't build a fire pit and overflow parking. <laughs> I saw a couple, <laughs> I saw a couple of those this oh, week. Oh yeah. That was crazy. Or have fires in windy weather. Make sure you put the fires out, you know, afterwards. Yeah, seriously. That's pretty key. Camping 101, baby. Camping 101 right here. Yeah, yeah, and we actually did have a forest fire um near a climbing area this past summer. So um it definitely is important. I personally detest the fire rings that they have in the in the forest service campgrounds there. You have to like stand right over them. Yeah. But fire safety is a really smart thing. Um, for those who've lived a lot of their lives out of doors, most people practice it as second nature. But if this is your third trip outside and you're coming from a gym, um, if you see someone doing something wrong, I don't know, don't be a jerk about it necessarily, but yeah. maybe subtly try and figure out a way to inform them they could be doing better. That's a good point. That's a really good point. Yeah. Well, guys, uh, once again... Thank you so much for coming on on short notice and uh, thanks for all the work you're doing. This is just, it's incredible to hear about the history yeah. of Roy as well. I've, as someone who's been going there for a few years now, it's, it's been, it was super interesting to just hear the backstory because as Dave said, you sort of just go to this place and you're like, wow, it's all developed and there's all these cool boulders, but I have no idea how this happened. <laughs> exactly. just, I just accept it. It's here. <laughs> it's ours now. Amazing. <laughs> Yeah, it's everyone, so it's good. Yeah, well... Yeah, yeah and thank you for sharing guys. it. Yeah, thanks for sharing it. Yep. Well, yeah, I'm glad. I'm really... I, I love seeing people going down there and have fun. I mean... Yeah, I do too. It's, it's, I mean, even if it is getting overwhelmed, it's still great that people are having the same experience that I have out there, you know, and have had. Yeah, I love seeing people, as I'm driving past them, if they're having fun in one spot and then I'll go to a different spot. So <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I, I've had that experience many times myself. Well, we appreciate it guys. And, uh, thanks a ton for coming on. Yeah. You're welcome. Yeah. Thank you. Glad to be, glad to be here. Glad to share the story. All right. Thanks guys. Bye. All right. Thanks. See you. Bye. Thanks. Are you guys still there? Yep. Still. Hey, there. okay. So that was going to be the end of the pod. Um, cool. That's like a super sincere thanks. That's not just like a podcast thanks. That, um, William left though. William's gone. Yeah, we should have probably told. Him. Oh. oh, he's back. No, I'm back. I realized what I fucked up. <laughs> no, I. I mean, well, I'm, we I'm have, on conference calls all day. So when, as soon as someone says that, I'm like, I am off of here. I got to go. To <laughs> well, we do this shit. You know, we we have a bunch of podcasts and everything, and this is actually the first time I've ever done it, but. Mad props and like respect to you guys, uh, like truthfully, that's just not us on the air. Um, we use that place a ton and I know for a fact that Colorado climbers are fucking that place up. I mean, every people from all over are, but it's definitely from Colorado. It's a lot of green plates. <laughs> I mean, the thing is, it's just, it's just numbers, you know, and you just yeah. have to have the infrastructure to cope with it. I don't think that many people are doing anything wrong i don't think so either and like you mentioned earlier every every bouldering area goes through this but it's just every year that we kind of we get new technology and new social media and pro climbers get more followers it's just like it gets exacerbated so much the sport is growing you know i mean how many more gyms open up every day i don't know it's like thousands of people move to the front range every month i mean it's it's crazy 
it's just how it is right now. Hundred thousand yeah. a hundred thousand a year to Denver alone. I heard that stat two years ago, wow. and it was supposed to carry <laughs> on for like ten years. That's a million people in ten years. Crazy. You wow. want to talk about infrastructure, dude? Like Denver, that's half the population of New Mexico. <laughs> Denver doesn't even ah, have the true. infrastructure to take care of the traffic, you know, or the it, it's yeah. it's a jumble, man. It's a mess. So I just wanted I, to I wanted you guys to know that that was a sincere uh, thanks from both of us because that place is amazing. I'm glad, yeah, I'm glad you appreciate it because. Yeah. yeah, like it's funny after so many years of like William said of people just being like, yeah, whatever. It's just Charles. It's in the middle of nowhere. Forget <laughs> yeah. about it. Man, yeah. I've been pretty. Yeah. Much- yeah, I think it's going to be. I mean, winter isn't going to go away, and the drive from Denver isn't going to go away. It will be the winter bouldering area for the Front Range for the foreseeable future. Yeah, it just simply yeah. full stop. That's it. Yes. Um, so, and I'm perfectly fine with that. I think that that's great. I'm, there are a lot of people who bring new blood and new vision to even areas that have been, you know, fairly well picked over. Um, and I actually love, I love seeing newer people come because I think it's a, a, one of the rare areas that you could bring someone who climbs it a variety of grades yes. and they would be psyched. Absolutely. It's one of the best places to come if you're just breaking into like the moderate grade range too. There's so many amazing problems for people who aren't necessarily elite climbers, but I don't know. Yeah. I mean, that's unique. And like the new places that have cropped up in kind of the front range area over the last like decade. And I mean, become popular like, like Evans, Mount Evans Mm -hmm. and chaos Canyon and RMNP, how they've increased in popularity. Dude, if you climb V2 there, you are out of luck. (laughs) You're, you're, you're fucked. There's nothing for you to do there. But Roy has just like this myriad of climbs. I mean, an untouched stone mm. everywhere. Oh, yeah. 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 What yeah, a, it's kind of stunning. What a resource. <laughs> Y'all are lucky. That's incredible. How long is the season going to go on? It's pretty much over, right? Maybe another couple weeks? Yeah, mid-April. Mid-April. It's I'd usually say. when it uh, stops freezing overnight. <laughs> yeah. Um, and that's it, they. There's a lot of mosquitoes there in the summertime, so that's the biggest deal. Yeah, typically mosquitoes. they are. They don't pop out usually until like May, though. In my Fair experience. enough. And rattlesnakes actually too, because once the snakes start coming out with people yeah. with dogs, it starts to get a little bit. Oh, that's more scary, interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Just, yeah. Staying by Mills Canyon is a good idea at that kind of season. It, it was yeah. it was snake season. It was funny of you guys to say how like there's that guidebook, but people pretty much only use it for Roy. And because just this weekend when there were so many people there, I was sort of like, well, it's time to like start checking out these other areas. I'd love to <laughs> check <laughs> out <laughs> Ortega Mountains. Ponderosa looks cool. Yeah, yeah. Well, Ortega's Ortega's is awesome. Hasn't it's... that had a Facebook page for like two or three years? Mm-hmm. I, yeah, I, that's right, I yeah. joined that years ago just because I, I it just blipped up on my Facebook and I was like, holy shit. This place looks amazing, and I've never been there yet. Although I follow all go. of the updates, yeah, I can't wait. Mm-hmm. What's the season? They went for a different yeah. development style, which I could discuss in greater detail. But they went for like sort of an open source development. Okay. Where they just said, "Okay, cool. We're gonna, you know, point out all the new places we've been, and sort of share it with the world." But yeah. 
So it feels like spray. (laughs) Yes, exactly. That's yeah. They didn't necessarily always provide maps. They usually waited. They'd say, I was out there. I did this cool problem. And then like two months later, they'll post the location once they're done (laughs) with that area. Nice. So it's, it's like a lagging open source. And I say that liking all of those people, but it was not like, this is where I went last weekend. Here's my project. You know, it was not entirely open source. So because we, Tom and I got a raft of crap for not telling people. And we would always tell people if they came up and talked to us, we just wouldn't necessarily walk over to them and be like, you should come out. Yeah. Yeah, that's not on you. Yeah, that's uh, you should feel no responsibility to set up an advertisement for your new area. Screw that, man. If people are curious, they can find out. Yeah, true. That doesn't mean you're not going to get a raft of crap. <laughs> yeah, right. Always. All right, guys. Uh, we got to wrap it up and do our intro and outro. But this will be out on Monday. Okay. Cool. So we'll post it up, Listen. and uh, Owen, I'll talk to you about a, maybe one or two more things. I might I might need a picture from you, but I'll message you on Facebook. And yep. um, again, thanks for doing this on short notice. So, so psyched. Of course. And yeah, I'll give you Sandy's information too. Oh, yeah. Oh, that's a good idea. Yeah, yeah, shoot that across. I'll put that in the show notes as well, and we'll get that place hopefully a little bit more popular. People That'd using cool. it. Make her some money. Yeah. Yeah, she doesn't put an Airbnb, so it's kind of like oh, interesting. No, no one knows about yeah. it. Yeah. Oh, dude. Okay, they're gonna know about it. That's <laughs> yeah. that's a good asset. Uh-huh. All right, guys. Right on. All right. Bueno. Goodbye. Pleasure. Thank you much. Thank you. Cheers. All right. We'll see you. All right. Bye. Yeah. What's up? What lesson did you learn? From the interview? Yeah. Well, from what we just... Yeah. That thing that just happened. <laughs> oh, good yeah. point. <laughs> what other uh, fucking lessons would we have learned? Yeah, it's a good okay. point. Okay, okay. I learned... That okay. access to climbing areas is complicated. Yeah, especially when you have ranch land, national forest, national grasslands, state land, BLM federal yeah holy crap i mean i've just been wrestling with just the concept in my mind of like like you go to roy and hear people like wow it's crazy there's so many fucking people here like god all these people here and it's like well what what right do i have over anyone else here to be here because you're there too yeah exactly Mm -hmm. it's it's not just you like you can't be act like god these people like just found it and it's like yeah of course they're gonna come it's sick like that's why you came in the first place (laughs) so it's like that that kind of conflict of being selfish about areas and be feeling like, Oh, this is like, I don't know. That's, that, that's been something in my mind. I'm like, I don't think there's a really good answer except making the area able to sustain the amount of traffic it gets. Exactly. I remember, I think every climber struggle, every core climber at least struggles with that. I've been climbing for a while. I remember going to the happies and counting like a hundred is something like 113 or 115 cars. Yeah. That's at the happies, yeah. man. And I remember thinking as I'm walking up to join that crowd, like well, these fucking people, man, are <laughs> ruining everything. Why do all these people always have to be here? And I was like, oh, oh, wait a minute. Yeah. yeah like I'm, <laughs> as I walked to yeah. the boulders. Yeah. You just got to build an infrastructure. Yeah. Um, and thanks to, 
Thanks to those guys, Owen and William. My I, God. I do think that the... <laughs> I don't know. I don't. I also think like, is there a is there like, is per, is keeping an area secret to just yourself? Like, yes. Is that okay? Yes. That, yeah. Like, I think so. Yeah, I remember that being a big problem in Iowa. Actually, is there was a guy. Well, I was known for some of the most spectacular Boulder fields and sport crags <laughs> in. Okay, obviously, Iowa. David being <laughs> a jerk. A jerk, uh, but the, yeah. <laughs> but there's a guy in like Iowa who develops and he keeps he like will talk to people about it, but then he'll just keep it secret, which I think is a dick move. I think if you're gonna keep it secret, just keep it secret. Don't talk about it. Oh right, don't like don't uh, like spray and then be like, nah. I can't oh, tell okay, you. I'm not yeah. at liberty to like, talk about on, anymore. Man. Other than it's amazing yeah. and I wish you could see it. Then but you're I just can't being a you. jerk. There's literally no. You're not creating a net positive. You're creating just like sadness. Well, I think you have ulterior motives yeah. if you're spraying and not sharing. You're like, mm-hmm. I'm the man. I have this place. You people are beneath yeah, me you, and you can't find it. If you satisfy me, maybe I'll take you. Like powdering the butt. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's what you call callback in Hollywood. Um, <laughs> yeah, I think it's okay to keep places secret. I mean, it's if you find it, it's yours. The whole, you know what I mean? Yeah. And then share it when you're share it when all the cherries are picked. Yeah. As they say. As they say. All right, buddy. Well, you got to catch a flight to uh, Francais. That's right. It's in uh, about 100 hours. So I better get heading to the airport. Yeah. You got to get, well, the TSA, you got to go through all kinds well, of Well, I don't want to pay for like an Uber or parking. So I'm actually planning on hitchhiking slash walking. So I might as well get started. It's so oh. long. And just watch out for the trains. Know if there are strikes yes. going on. Yeah, we're renting. Trust a, me, we're renting a car. You will rent a car, but like, are you staying in Font? Yeah. Okay, so you, if you want to go to Paris for a day, you do not drive. You just take the train out of Avon. Yeah. And you take, but well, yeah, but the tra- the strikes, right? Well, the strikes <laughs> will sometimes start at night. So the train will run for the day and you'll be in Paris like, oh, this is so wonderful. Wow. <laughs> and then you try to get a train back and you end up so I getting drive. a hotel room for the night. No, just look. <laughs> just find out. <laughs> okay, okay. It's okay, not okay. that complicated. Okay, I'm sorry. I don't. God. I'm not so. I'm not as smart in <laughs> French as you, dude. Your French accent is sick, dude. I can't like uh, just fit in like that. I can't just is, walk uh, into France and be like, what's up, dude? Uh. <laughs> This is the only French I know. <laughs> mm. Je suis désolé, je n'ai parlé pas français. Oh, I like how that... Do you know what that means? Yeah, I'm sorry, I don't speak French. <laughs> that is correct. I speak perfect French, but I only oh. can speak French with a southern accent. Bonjourno. Je m'appelle Fadi. And... That means... I got that. That's great. Okay, let's just wrap this thing up. So, as always... If you guys enjoy the podcast, rate and review us on yeah. iTunes. It goes a long way to helping us be searchable. And shoot we thank us, you for that. Shoot us DMs, man. Thundercling on Instagram. Shoot us a message. Yeah, the Thundercling. The Thundercling. On Instagram. And that's uh, kind of where we are. We don't yeah. do much with Facebook. Just just, just Instagram. We love we are constantly craving feedback and we can take a punch, all right? Just be honest, because we we're trying to grow, all right? 
Yeah, twenty nineteen is a big year. All right, Dave and I have bills to pay, and we ain't paying them. <laughs> yeah, well, we don't get paid no matter how popular the podcast yeah, becomes. So, but um, yeah, that would be nice. And if you have any feedback or you'd like to write for the website, um, we have a couple projects in the works from listeners right now. That is thunderclingpodcast at gmail dot com. We're also brewing a sauce night, and uh, always oh, yeah. suggestions for sauce night topics, please. We're craving them. What do you want us to talk about? What do you want us to talk about? Do you what, want to hear us talk? What burning issues yeah. would you like to see covered Chossy by DMs? a couple Tell me dipshits who don't know much of anything? Bumblefucks, Dave. Bumblefucks. Bumblefucks. Couple bumblefucks who don't know anything. Oh, I really warped into bumblecocks in my mind. I've been saying that in my head. Bumblecock. That's what you should just call yourself in France. Je suis Monsieur Bumblecock. <laughs> Je n'ai how do you say what's my, my name is? Je m'appelle. Je m'appelle Bambucock. Oh. <laughs> oh. Like, like, okay. <laughs> and with that, we thank you for listening for 10 episodes. We're super, super psyched. Yeah, we did it. And head to Roy. To one million more. To one, to one million Dave, more podcasts. Dave, today we're talking to. Hold on, I think I'm having a stroke.